You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello everyone and welcome to Unsung Torah. I am Rabbi T. Jacobson with NRM Streamcast and we'll spend our time talking to our learning stuff and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions in the comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah at gmail.com and of course I will answer as many as I can. The weather finally, what are we, May 4th? And finally I went outside with my class for recess without a coat. Now, it wasn't 90 or 80 or 70, but it's actually in the 50s. I think now it's around 60. It's gorgeous. It took a while, you know. April was cold and wet, but we are getting to warm weather. I am so happy. You know, next week, right around the corner, is the famous Lag Baomer. Yeah, you know, Lag Bomer, when I was a kid growing up, Lag Bomer meant, for those who live in the uh, New York City area, the school would rent buses and we would go to Bear Mountain Park. I don't know if you know Bear Mountain Park. Bear Mountain Park is, I guess, up the Palisades, but I lived in Muncie, it wasn't far. And we played baseball because the schools, nowadays, schools forget about New York, there's no baseball fields. But even in Detroit, we have some fields, but these were beautiful baseball fields. And our teachers um, actually were the pitchers. So the one time all year round that they would play ball with us would be on Lag Baomer, which officially is the, 33 day, the 33rd day in the counting of the Omer leading up to the, the, the Shavuot holiday. And uh, I do the same thing. I bring my class to a park. We play baseball. Uh, we do other stuff. And it's not to say I never play ball with them. Um, I don't play ball as much. Um, you know, sometimes when the beard gets a little grayer, um, it might not always be the best idea to play ball with kids that are probably getting faster than you and stronger than you. And uh, uh, certainly some of them could be better athletes than me. So to play it safe. And the truth is, really... Um, you know, you're out there on a baseball field. You want to pick up a bat. You want to hit a ball. And I'm actually afraid. I'm afraid I'm going to hit that ball so hard that a younger child will not have the reflexes. So for the most part, I won't hit a ball anymore. I'll pitch, and I'll play with them when necessary. Earlier in the year, I played with them a lot. We had to help them with their, um, with just how they interacted. I mean, talking about it, it was a, you know... I was wondering, as a teacher, do you look back and do you say, I had a successful year? Is that is that how we think as teachers? And how do we decide it was a successful year? So I taught the material. They seemed to know the material. They passed the test. They had good marks on the report card. But what made it a successful year? So this year, I really believe I was very, very successful in my class um, because this class had great difficulty in what you would call interpersonal relationships. That is a great word. 
which means to say they weren't nice when they played. They could be bullies. They could uh, not be inclusive. They could really sometimes be mean. And they didn't mean it to be mean. They're young children. But they just had to learn what's cool, you know, how to be nice, how to be a friend, how to share, how to, how to think about somebody else. And for that, I have had an amazingly successful year. These children will, every day, we come back from recess. I can't remember if I talked about it. Every day we'll come back from recess. And I ask them, what did you say nicely by recess today? And they report back, and they love it. All they get is a check in my book. Like, it doesn't really matter. Okay, we have a popcorn party maybe once every four or five weeks, but they would do it almost without. So I said, good try. I said, good catch. I said, good kick. I said, I shared my toy. I didn't. These are the funny ones. I really didn't want to let him play, but he asked to play, and I said yes, which really is what I want, right? And I was, I want you to be accommodating. I want you to be caring. So the guy came late to the game, so it messed up the teams a little bit. So you don't like the teams as well. Who cares? Who cares? Right? Let's let's just play. It's it's just a game. It's just recess. And by including someone who comes in, usually it's going to be somebody who's not the most popular. He feels so good. Right? Boys are nice to me. No one wants to go home that they weren't nice to me. They didn't let me play. They, I wanted to look at their cards. I wanted to play with their toy. No one wants that. Right? Well, let's, let's, let's be friends. So in that way, you know, getting ready for a baseball game with the class, and, and they've been working so hard, and I'm so proud of them, and this is is real success. This is what it's all about. As much as I know teachers are leaving from the public schools in droves, uh, but people, look, you're not getting paid much as a teacher, right? We know that. Right? So why are we teachers? Because we love the opportunity to help a child grow. We love it. We feel good. There's a satisfaction that you can get besides, you know, typing numbers into a computer. Right? There's, it, it's real. I was discussing with my wife. She says, you wake up every morning. You love to go to school. You love life because you have what to look forward to. So she said, interesting. She's, I think, getting a little um, tired of what she's doing now. So I asked her last night. I said, uh, what would you like to do? So she said two different ideas. I said, those are great ideas. Like, now's the time. Make your own business. Build your own business. Right? Your, one of your jobs seems to not, won't be as taxing next year. So use the time. Let's develop a business. Let's see where it goes. Let's enjoy waking up every day and say, I can't wait. I love to do this. Okay. Which is getting us way off topic. So, but before we go on, let's, of course, not forget, um, if you would like to find any of the old shows, send in questions, hit our donate button. You have to go to letstalktorah.net. Let's, no apostrophes, letstalktorah.net. You can find all the old shows, the new shows. You can, um, you can sign up for any platform you like to listen to. You could look at the old shows. You can search for shows. You can, you can donate, which, of course, we appreciate. And you can send us comments. Or if you send a donation, you want a shout-out, we can do that, whatever you want. And, of course, I do thank you. So let's talk an amazing Torah portion. Not a long one, 
but an amazing one. The name of this week's Torah portion is Bahar, which literally means mountain. This is the Torah portion that demands belief in God. Why? Why? Because this is the Torah portion about the sabbatical year. Uh, basics, a sabbatical year means that the farmer cannot work his field. No planting, no plowing, no, no, uh, no, like, uh, pruning, I guess we will say, no pruning, no hoeing, no getting rid of the weeds. You, you just leave, you can't dig out the rocks from the ground. You are just leaving the field as is. There are certain things you can do to make sure the field doesn't get destroyed. The field needs to be watered a little bit. Um, if certain things need to be taken care of, walls need to be fixed, there are some things you can do. But overall, you are leaving the field fallow for a year. So that means for one full year, there is no salary, right? That's where we get the word. Someone goes on a sabbatical. But usually we imagine when a person takes a sabbatical, it means his company or his, his college is paying his salary or part of it and sending him off to do research or check out a foreign country or write a book or something. No, this sabbatical, uh, you're not working the field. Hopefully, you're going to sit and study Torah with the extra time, right? That would be, that would be the, the point. So this, this demands that God's going to take care of you. Now, it is true, and we're going to talk about this, it is true that the Torah tells you if you keep the Shemitah, if you keep the sabbatical year, if you don't go ahead and work that year, so you have officially nothing growing, so the year beforehand, God is going to increase the, the growth, the, the crops, the whatever you have in your field is going to increase um, two and threefold, depending on the, on the year. And that w- is what you're going to live on for the sabbatical year and the following year. It's really backwards, right? In other words, the sabbatical year, you have food because you have last year's crop. Th- that's not the problem here. The problem here is going to be the, the year after the sabbatical year where you weren't able to um, raise any crops. So what are you going to do till everything grows? That's the problem here. So the sixth year is going to cover you in the seventh year, and the eighth year, some t- well, it's not the seventh, it's the renew cycle, but okay, that's, let's not get so complicated. Right? So that's the belief that God demands. Um, interesting, my son asked a big rabbi in town, he says, we're talking about belief, right? So he says to him, I, I don't understand. The Jewish people saw God by Mount Sinai, right? We have the Shavuot holiday coming up. So the Jewish people saw God or mountains shaking and the fire and the, and the noise and God talking, giving the Torah. So what's the belief? No belief. You know. It's not a belief issue. When I know something, it's not called believing. What do you mean I believe in God? So the rabbi told him, fascinating. He said, in our minds, and it's true, right? God is infinite, our brains cannot handle infinite. Our brains cannot handle that there's more than what we see. So what you see, you're right. That's the line of seeing. Past what you didn't see, you need to believe that there's way more than anything you could ever imagine. That's the belief. 
Anyways, so a most famous verse. This Torah portion starts out with a very unusual, simple, but very unusual verse. Most of the time in the Torah, every time there's a new command, it says, God spoke to Moses saying. God spoke to Moses saying. That is the standard, straightforward way that God um, will give over a new command, except here in this Torah portion. In this Torah portion, it says that that God commanded Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, right, now that's a little unusual. Why are we all of a sudden throwing in Mount Sinai? So Rashi comments that just like in this Torah portion, we get all the details of the Shemitah, of the sabbatical year, so to all the commands, the details were given on Mount Sinai. In other words, that's this is a... And anyways, an, an interesting question. What did Moses get on Mount Sinai? Did he get the general 613 commands and the details were going to come later? Or did he really get all the details as well on Mount Sinai? So Rashi says, you see from here, that everything was given on Mount Sinai. So the question is, so somewhere it needs to tell me that the details were given on Mount Sinai, there has to be a command that is chosen where we're going to get all the details and we're going to have verse to tell us that it was by Mount Sinai and that will teach me that all commands were given on Mount Sinai. Very good. So how did you know to choose, or not how did you, how, why did the Torah choose this command of the sabbatical year? Like you could have picked honoring your parents. You could have picked don't steal. There's a lot of things you could have picked, right? Keep the Passover holiday. Why is this the command? Like, why this one? Um, so first of all, um, Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar says that Shemitah, the sabbatical year, really follows the Sabbath. As you can imagine, that it's sort of like a continuation. It's all the number seven, right? We have seven days, Sabbath. Seven years, sabbatical year. Seven times seven, jubilee year. So in your mind, it's all one, one big command. Anything connected to the number seven, there's going to be have to be some type of resting and not working. That's what you might imagine. So the Torah wants to tell you, no, no. First of all, the fact is Shemitah is a perfect command to teach you this because it's, it is, in a way, connected to Sabbath. But in another way, we need to keep in mind that it's totally separate. Totally separate. And there's a lot of laws that come out from there. A person could imagine, well, since I'm keeping the seventh year sabbatical year and I'm not working my field, maybe that's good enough to say I'm off the hook for keeping Sabbath for the whole year. Right? So that's not true because they're really two totally separate commands. There's the weekly Sabbath, and then there's the, in the cycle of years, there's a the Sabbath. But they are totally different. But I want to take it a little deeper. There's a beautiful uh, Ramosha Feinstein. Um, and it follows with our idea of belief. That the Shemitah, the sabbatical year, the command of the sabbatical year is, is like the core of our belief. So what is it? You know, it's not a big deal. If, for imagine for a second, you want to write your own Bible. You want to make your own religion. 
People have tried it. People have done it. You want to write a book, and you're going to come up with a bunch of commands. Now, some of them are pretty easy, right? Anybody could write a law book, right? Okay, honoring parents, very nice. Uh, don't steal, very good. Court systems, um, certain ladies you can't marry. Um, yeah, have a couple of holidays during the year. Everybody likes a holiday. Everybody likes a party. Certainly, if you lived in those days, you had to have sacrifices, very common. But then you get to certain commands that seem to just not really make too much sense. Certain foods you can't eat, certain animals you can't eat. Okay, but, you know, uh, again, if, I, if you want to say that I want to make my own set of rules, my own religion, okay, you know, maybe uh, I want you to be a vegetarian. I, I could make up stuff, right? All of that you could almost get away with. But there's one thing you can't get away with. I cannot write in a book a guarantee about anything, unless I'm God, right? If I'm just a regular person, what guarantee? And if you keep my whole Bible, I guarantee that you will have healthy children. Really? And so the first time we find someone who doesn't have healthy children, um, and it was keeping the laws, your book is in the garbage. It's in the garbage. Right? Anybody who follows this dietary law will never have any stomach ailments. Right? Really? So as soon as somebody follows your dietary laws and he gets a stomach bug, right? it's all over. Right? Your book is in the garbage. So you can't make up stuff. You cannot make any guarantees. Anybody could make a list of laws and say, God said... Because right? how are you going to argue? Again, I, Jewish people, millions of us were watching as God gave the commands on Mount Sinai. Good, we know all this. But forget about, about all that. Anybody who wants to claim, oh, Moses wrote his own book. Or some Jewish guy wrote his own book. Just like other religions, they wrote their own book. Right? You, now, the same idea. I could write in the book, oh, and in the world to come, I'm promising you a life filled with uh, 72 virgins, right? Whatever you want. Right? Well, I can promise you anything that, that there's no way of proving it, right? Because after you're dead, you're not coming back to tell me it's true or not true. What you can't do is what God does by the sabbatical year. God says, I guarantee if you say, if you plan on keeping the sabbatical cycle, then the produce from the sixth year will be double and triple. You can't promise that. Right? If you're just a regular guy, and it doesn't even make sense, by the way, right? If anybody knows the rules of, of, of letting a field lay fallow, you're supposed to do it every couple of years. You wait six years, and it's not growing fallow till the seventh year. So the sixth year is not going to be a great bumper crop. Right? Usually the first year after it lay fallow could be a good crop because the field got to regenerate, got the, its vitamins and minerals back or however it works. The sixth year, sixth year doesn't happen. So no person in his right mind would ever write in a book on his own, oh, if you keep the sabbatical year, then God, which means no growing, no planting, really no harvesting. So I guarantee the sixth year will be good for the the seventh year and the next year before you start planting, it's impossible. 
Okay? Now, it's the first time it happens, you try it out, it doesn't work. It doesn't work, the book's in the garbage. So, Mike Weinstein says that that's why, that's part of the reason why this is the command, right? That we chose to say that this command was given on Mount Sinai, right? Moses is not making this up, nobody's making this up. The Torah is coming from God. And the proof is a command that no normal human being would make up on his own because you have no way of proving it. Uh, we've said this story over a hundred times already, but there's the the famous um, kibbutz in Israel called Komios, and I believe it was in the 50s, that they said we're keeping Shemitah. Now, the land was government land, right? It was a more of a communist country, right? So, so the government owned the land, you don't get to say I'm not planting one year. I don't care about your religion. Right? Certainly in the early days of the land of Israel, it's not much better now. But the government was never friendly, they were anti-friendly, if there's such a word, uh, to religious Jews. So as Kamiya says, we're, we're keeping the Shemitah year. They say, you can't. You're, you're required to produce a certain amount of, uh, of produce every year. You don't produce. We take the land away. They said, you'll see in the sixth year, we're going to produce so much that we can leave it for the seventh year. And sure enough, you look, these it's in their books, right? Because uh, they kept track of every farm in the area of how much it produced. And all of a sudden, in the sixth year, they produced triple. Everybody else in the sixth year produced the same. They produced triple in the sixth year. It's on the books. Right? So God promises, and God takes care. Um. Another interesting question, once we talk about uh, Meisha Feinstein, he has another question. Another fascinating um, verse. Right? The verse says, six years you'll work, and the seventh year you'll rest. Now, there is a similar verse by the Sabbath. Six days you'll work, and the seventh day is Sabbath. Now that, six days you'll work, okay, very good. Um, we explain, you have to look at it after you work six days, then you have to look at it like all your work is done, right? That has nothing to do with the sabbatical year. Uh, what do you mean all my work is done? Right? All my work is not done. I work for the sixth year. Of course, of course I'm done, right? Seventh year is a new year. It has nothing to do with Sabbath. So what is it for, what is it that for six years you'll work and the seventh year you don't work. It's a very, very interesting, almost different kind of thought. And that is what Maisha says. For six years, if you're a farmer, you do not rely on miracles. The job is you have a farm, you work the farm. You got to plow, you got to plant, you got to cultivate, you got to hoe, you got to weed, you got to take out the stones, you got to harvest, you got to work. And it's hard work. But no relying on miracles. But the seventh year, which is really following what we've been saying till now, on the seventh year, God says, no problem, rely on miracles. Right? Now, by the way, it seems, according to that, she takes it further. A normal person works six years in those days, and he, so normally during your six years, you're working, and the seventh year, you're relying on miracles. But what if you always live relying on miracles. Then what happens? So Ramesha says, a person who always relies on miracles, so what's the difference? 
So it reminds me of a of a beautiful story. So in Israel, there was a man. He was married, and he was still studying in the yeshiva. He was studying in Panovish. He was married, has children. Um, he would get a stipend, but you can't survive with that stipend, right? You know, like you're not really working. You're studying all day long. You're not. How much are you getting paid already? And then he found out that you know. In the evenings, when he didn't have to be in school anyways, um, he could be a watchman in a factory. He'd put more money in the bank, and that would alleviate the, some of the burden. So he didn't know if he should do it. So he went to the head rabbi. He went to Shach, and he asked Shach, you know, can I, you know, in the evening, when I'm anyways not in school, so I can be a watchman for a couple hours, and I'll have more money in the bank. So the rabbi told him, don't do it. Okay. Rabbi says, don't do it. He walks out and he says, the rabbi didn't understand. Rav Shach for sure didn't understand because it's a no-brainer. Right? If I work, it makes a few extra dollars. I don't have enough money. I'll be able to continue studying. He didn't understand. He took the job. Six months later, he had less money in the bank than before he took the job. It didn't make any sense. Oh, and there goes the music. We are going to have to get back to this story another time. But of course, thank you for the production team. We have Al in the back. I hope I've left you some food for thought. Until next time, I am Robert C. Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NM Streamcast. And until next time, don't forget to think about it. Every room inside is filled